0: Lost the weight upon my shoulder Now it's easier to walk I can see the road before me I am not afraid to fall All right. Happy New Year. Yeah,
1: Happy New Year.
2: Hope you guys had a good holiday with your families and are ready for 2024.
1: Yeah. Crazy. I, I <laughs> it just hit me 2024, like last night. Well, yeah. of course, last night was New Year's. Yeah. So. And we got to hang out and have a Yeah, it was together. really fun. It was fun with yeah. our
2: other friends. We had a good New year. so.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's crazy. It's the new year, so we're just excited. We have a few fun things coming our yeah. way with the podcast. Yeah, we're <laughs> excited. One yeah. just kind of small change. We just are kind of updating
2: our logo a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to do that, release that this week.
1: Yeah, just kind of a fresh new look and we really liked our previous one as well, but we just thought, I don't know, just a little refresh would be fun. So yeah. Yep. And the so girl, my that. friend Annie
2: that did it for us, she did both logos and we couldn't decide back when back she did it originally. So we're like, Oh, let's yeah.
1: switch to the other one for a yeah. while. Yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, so. I like it. It's fun. Yes, yeah, so cute. there's that change and then um this is I don't know we'll we'll kind of see how this goes <laughs> in the next few weeks as we think about this more but we have an idea to start a book club
2: yes and kind I of like... just my niece Addie was looking at all the all these books on sale and I was like wow I used to be such a reader like mm-hmm. book and hand reader I've been in a couple of different book clubs and I haven't been in a book club for how long has our book club not been yeah. going on for a couple of I years know, a few years since kind of yeah, you know the girl
1: that kind of headed it up moved and. It was really fun though. Our neighborhood yeah. did one, and it was super fun. I've been in a few different ones on and off, right. but we both—it was so funny. Well, yeah. we won't say the book yet because. <laughs> yeah. But we both were like, a book club would be awesome. And then, oh, I'm reading this book, and she's like, wait, I just started Read, reading the yeah, same the exact, exact book. Same book. Yeah,
2: and it's funny because I do like self help and I do fiction. Yeah, and I was like, oh, well, I just clean up and do things. I'm going to listen to a fiction book because I get lost mm-hmm. in the book a little easier. I don't have to think. Yeah. It entertains me. And, that, and it happened to be the same exact book. Yeah. That Lindsay just started of so like. Listening so maybe that should be
1: our first book club. Book, but sign. we'll see. Yeah. yeah.
2: So we thought it'd be fun to do. Yeah. A Beautiful, a beautiful Shifts book club. Um, mm-hmm. I just was like, one of the things in 2024, I'm like, I want to read more. I listen to podcasts a lot. I listen to books on tape. A lot, which is fine and good and a good way to do it. But I kind of want to read more books. And I also wanted to I'm like, I just want to start a book club. So Yeah, and
1: we're not sure how we'll, like, you know, make it work with the podcast yet. But we know we for sure want to. So we're yes. going to be thinking about how we're going to make that work over the next week or two. And then yeah. we'll kind of announce it and just see maybe hopefully people want to join right. in. Yeah. And read so. along with us. And we'll do some kind of episode that, you know, we'll talk about the book of the month or every two months or however often we decide yes. that yes. it's going to work. So, yeah. So hopefully... Yeah. If,
2: if you're like us and like to read, you want to join us for our book
1: club. And we, yeah, we don't know how to do that. I'm like, there's so many different ways we could go
2: with it. So if you have any ideas or suggestions. Yeah, send them our know. way
1: because it will be more of a group effort anyway. So yes, yeah, if you have any sure. ideas of like how a virtual book club could work <laughs> or yeah, let us know.
2: Yeah, that'd be super fun.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and then thinking of the new year, uh, one of our guests, actually Brooke Romney, our first guest, she came on and um, I was looking at a post that she posted on maybe new year's eve or something and she said um it's a time to look back and i think it's cool cuz i think sometimes we look so forward like okay i'm going to change this and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do all these new goals and stuff but yeah. i think it's also good to remember the things that you accomplished or the things you learned or yeah. the things that happened in this last year yeah um and she got it actually from this girl and i think um i noticed you followed it's called about Progress? Oh yeah. I like, yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of quoting this girl, but she says in general, I'm more of a present and a future person. But a few years ago about progress taught me about the joy of looking back during this time of year. Every January, it seemed that I would write the same goals I'd written before and just feel discouraged about my lack of follow through. Then I started following her advice. And before I made even one goal, I listed all the things I had accomplished. Some of the items were done on purpose, but most were unplanned or even forced yet still equally incredible. I had so many things worth celebrating. This mm-hmm. one small change made goal setting a much more enjoyable and realistic process as I recognized all the big, but mostly small ways improvement had come through the year. And then of course, cause she works with teens with Brooke Romney, She says, do it with your teens. help teens, mm. help them see all the growth and improvement that has been part of their 2023. And our friend that yeah. we were with, um, Stephanie, she had printed out papers for our kids to fill out or for all of yeah. us to fill out. And it was, some of it was like, you know, what are you proud of that you did this year? What did you learn, Mm -hmm. you know, this last year and then goals for the future, both. So I thought it was really cool.
1: Yeah. I like incorporating that. And it is interesting how you can think of goals for the new year, but really until you look back on the last year, like you would have never known some of those lessons that you ended up learning that you couldn't name that in, in the beginning of the year. So I do think that that just just throws things at you. So you don't really know what
2: changes are going to happen or what things you're going to accomplish or learn until you know, you're going through it and you're looking back. So yeah. anyway, I
1: thought that was awesome. Yeah. That was really good. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, well, so for this week, we don't, we thought we would do a re-release because there's kind of been a lot going on. Kids, anyway. Yeah, out of we, school. And yeah. when could we actually record something? Yeah, so we've had a little bit of a lull. in, But we do have some guests coming up. But we thought we would do a re-release of this episode that we had. I looked. It was actually like last, the first week of February. Yeah, so pretty we released. So almost a year ago with Holly Weaver. And we just have thought about her episode so much. We've mentioned it a lot. It's like, I mean, all of our episodes are favorites. But there's a few words that Holly incorporated into hers. And it made it feel like... I think she maybe even mentioned like, those are words that she was working no, on for that going year. into yes. 2023. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, um, and she, yeah. So should we, yeah. So I'll talk are? about
2: one and you could talk about the other one. Okay. About. Um, so one of them she says was, um, equanimity and the definition of that is mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Sometimes you want to go in the, this is going to be the best year ever, but you cannot control some things that happen. Yeah. But you can, you know, like think about how to you can react in those situations when they do happen. So I love that just the mental calmness, composure and evenness of temper, no matter what, like yeah. no matter what comes your way. And especially when you come to a difficult situation. And so I thought it was a really good way to go into it. Not that you want to go in like negative, but like just a way that you can prepare yourself for those things Mm -hmm. as you're going through your goals and, you know, trying to make it a great year. Of course we all want that, you know, and we should reach for that. But
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then the other word she mentioned was impermanence and the definition says the state of not lasting forever or not lasting a long time. Like for example, the impermanence and fragility of life. So I think I feel like I've been reading a lot about this too lately. Like I feel like it's almost kind of just out there, Collectively, in society, mm-hmm. people are just talking about like being present in the moment, right. you know, and and because we're not promised any yeah, time we here, have now so, yeah yeah exactly. And then we had posted this on our um, feed last year to do with the word impermanence when we first released this. But it says Buddhism emphasizes the importance of accepting the impermanence of life because it is one of the keys to reducing and being free from attachments and suffering. Only then can a person find true inner peace and enlightenment. And you know, Holly is a yoga teacher and I feel mm-hmm. like both of these words just really kind of like lend well to what she does and right. just kind of her whole overall feeling of like what, what she talks about in the episode. So I think you guys will really like it. She talks the, the main kind of the, the transition that we talk about with her is going through the loss of her sister to a drug yes. um, overdose and accidental mm-hmm. overdose. Yes, Yeah. And it was, it was really sad. And we actually also had her mom on who yes, was Karen, awesome. which was a really good episode mm-hmm. as well. So you might want to check both of them out, but, um, and then she also just talks about like acceptance. And so all three of those things I think are so important, like, or just really that can help us. Like if we just kind of think of these words and kind of reflect on them. And I mean, it's hard to always have obviously like be in a state of right. all these things, impermanence, but, but and to be aware. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> yes. sometimes it's that whole awareness that then makes you be able to right. act that out in your life better in the right. future. And it's always easy when
2: you're not having something that you need to apply it to. So I yeah. think if you have the practice of thinking about it, then when you get into those times, then it's yeah easy to bring those practices in. Um, right. and then I, Holly, um, posted just recently, she said my word for 2023 was equanimity. I tried to stay steady even when there was turbulence. And then I thought this was cool, so I thought we could bring this in as well. She said, in 2024, I want to focus on meta. Poly word meta is a multi-significant term, meaning loving kindness, friendliness, goodwill, benevolence, fellowship, amity, concord, inoffensiveness, and, and then more love for the people in my life in 2024. So I guess Holly is our example for um, going into the 2024 New Year. She just has some really thoughtful, just ways of thinking and ways of um, approaching you know, the new year. So yeah. I thought that was really great.
1: And then there was one, just a really cool lyric that she said, and she'll say it again, but I just loved it so much um, that she included in her episode. It says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And it's by Leonard Cohen. And she just kind of talks about how like, none of us are perfect. No, no one's perfect, but sometimes right. the cracks in our perfection – and in our lives is how the light comes in. Yes. And I love that. Yeah, that's so true. A lot of
2: times when we learn the things that are so important, it's when it's hard and when it's dark. And so then the light can come in because we're learning and growing and, Mm -hmm. you know, going through the hard things. So yeah, totally. We are excited to re-release Holly's and we may do this a couple of times throughout the year. Um, just when we're taking breaks to be with our families or, you know, spring break or summer time or whatever it is. Um, and then it gives you guys a chance to catch up and, just re-relist, you know, listen, and even if you've listened before, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna re-relist. Same, re-re-listen yeah. Re-listen, Dolly. Yeah,
1: and we know we have a lot, of, a lot of new f- listeners too. So hopefully, yeah, this haven't... is a way we can introduce some of these. You know, we are having busy weeks and aren't able to record. We can re reintroduce you to some of these guests from the past that were really awesome so we're excited for you to hear it
2: yeah so we're excited for this year we're excited for yeah trying to incorporate a book club um kind of a new refresh on our logo and the the guests that we have planned and some that we already have recorded yeah to to release we're super excited about it so yes um i'll leave you with one more quote that i it's from it's called boss baby inc Instagram. I don't even know if I follow it. It just kind of came up. It says, if you want 2024 to be your year, don't sit on the couch and wait for it. Go out, make a change, smile more, be excited, do new things, throw away what you've been cluttering, let go of negative people, go to bed early, wake up early, show more gratitude, do things that challenge you, be brave.
1: That's awesome. All right. We'll leave you with that and enjoy Holly's episode. Yep. Happy new year.
2: Okay, welcome today to the podcast. Um, we have a good lifelong friend that I've known forever, Holly Weaver. Hi, Holly.
3: Hi, Shantel.
2: Hi. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah, so Holly and I go way back. I don't even know how old we were um, growing up in Stansbury Park, Utah. When did you guys move there?
3: I was four when we moved to Stansbury Park, and then I was six when I became your neighbor.
2: Okay, so I'm just like a year or two. I'm a year or two older than you, but anyway, yeah. our moms were um best friends. So, yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, they. I was thinking of the funny things they would do. They had a time where they would rollerblade together for their exercise. Do you remember that?
3: There was a rollerblading phase.
0: <laughs> there, there was like were, an aerobics phase. There was an
3: aerobics phase. Um, there were some lake Powell trips. There were some dinners at your house. A lot of homemade rolls.
1: Yes. And wasn't it along with Ryan Smart's mom, too? Yeah, Is our right? families
2: kind of all knew each other in Stansbury. Yeah, who and... we
1: had an interview with. And he was on, like, our second episode, and he was awesome. And it was funny, because on the episode, he says, you should interview Holly. Do you yes. remember that?
2: Yeah. Oh, so he was great. I love Because you helped get him started in his um, design. design. Yeah.
3: I didn't even mean to. I just needed help. And he gave it to me, <laughs> me and he he's just naturally very amazing so yeah we all of our families go way back and uh his he moved though and so after he moved um we didn't see them as much except for summertime but I saw yeah. Chantil and her family quite a bit growing up so
2: yeah those cool. lake pal trips are fun like yes. dance parties and special yeah. treats and all the that's things that's right <laughs> So yeah, we love your family. Um, yeah, so our yeah our dads became friends, our families were friends, so it was really fun. So um, Lindsay will read uh, Holly's
1: bio. All right. Holly Weaver is a mom of four and wife of Todd. She was raised in Stansbury Park, Utah, where she snuck across golf courses and learned how to rig horns. <laughs> After high school, she earned a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University and spent four years teaching middle and high school English. That's awesome. In 2007, she graduated with a master's degree from UNLV in education administration, then gave birth to her first child a month later. Her life shifted in 2016 when her baby sister, Christy, died of an accidental heroin overdose at the age of 28. Her death became the catalyst for a nonprofit Holly co-founded called Second Chance 5K. Currently, Holly teaches te- loves teaching and practicing yoga, eating Nutella, and spending time with her four kids and husband, Todd.
2: I love your bio, and I have to say, I just think, well, Ryan's a little bit like, I don't know, you guys are so funny, and so when I interviewed Ryan, and then, anyway, I was like, man, that was probably really fun to work together to do your house, and then some of your, like, social media posts about, like, you and your husband's kind of relationship and your humor, so it's really funny, and obviously, your mom is really funny, too, just a lot of humor, I love it.
3: There was, like, growing up. We watched a lot of David Letterman and Saturday Night Live and my husband is like easy material because he is just his own person. So that's easy. But Ryan, when he came out and we did my house, there were a lot of late nights like crying, laughing on the floor. Just, yeah, we I are really imagine. good friends. Yeah.
1: Oh, fun.
2: Yeah. So that's I love awesome. it. Yeah. I just, when I think about your family, I do just kind of think about laughing and your mom just hilarious. She's still funny, but I talked to her the other day and she's just so great. Good friend to my mom and... Yeah. Awesome. So
1: cool. Well, um, yeah. Do you have any like fun or interesting story or fact about yourself that you could share with us to get, to help us get to know you a little better?
3: Um, uh, well, two things. The first thing I wanted to say was Chantel was someone I always looked up to. It's like the older girl in the neighborhood that you're like, I mean, she's driving a green Tercel. <laughs> well,
2: that was a cute one. The hug mobile right called it.
3: And I would see her coming and going with her friends, or cute Steve Sagers, Steve Sagers. Oh yeah, right. Yeah,
2: Steve Sagers. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so,
3: um, just growing up, I was a couple years younger than Chantel, and always looked up to her a lot. So um, I'm grateful for where I grew up and the people that surrounded my family. Um, and it, the thing I was I was going to share with you guys was um, I'm a yoga instructor. I'm certified to teach yoga, but I'm currently in the middle of a 300-hour certification that um, will allow me to maybe be a better teacher and eventually teach people how to teach yoga. So, yeah. So I'm in the middle of this um, certification, and one of our assignments was to complete a 12-hour walk. So yesterday, Mm -hmm. I walked walked for 12 hours for 12 hours. I You can't bring music. You had to put your phone on airplane mode, so I wasn't receiving texts. And wow. you press start on the 12-hour walk app, and then it tells you when you're done. So wow. that I thought, well, that's something kind of interesting that I did yesterday. That's very
2: interesting. <laughs> and you're in yeah. Vegas, so you just had a path that you...
3: Yeah, I just walked around. I just wanted to stay safe. So I just stuck around nearby people I knew. And I did, I was alone with my thoughts for 12 hours. And I think something a lot of us lack right now is just silence. Yeah. Right. With ourselves and with our thoughts and the ability to just, um, think things through quietly. I, it's just really hard to do that. There's a lot of distractions. So it
2: was really cool. So True. I always have an air pod, like I'm listening to mm-hmm. a podcaster to music and every once in a while I'm like, wow, I just need silence. But 12 hours I've never done. Yeah. But so that's impressive. And I mean, I can imagine like a lot of times where I would have, you know, during those 12 hours, like happy, good thoughts, really sad, like even crying probably and maybe mm-hmm. laughing to myself. Like I can't even.
1: Yeah. Where did you get <clears throat> bored? Like, were you just dying for it to be over or, or did, was it, did you find it enjoyable? Like, I'm curious. Yeah. What were the emotions and the thoughts?
3: Uh, about 20 minutes in, it's like 6am. I looked at my watch and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 20 minutes in. <laughs> I'm going to die. So I started with song lyrics. Like I was like singing Alanis Morissette's whole album. Jagged little pill. Like I started. <laughs> Love that. I'm singing some U2 albums in my head. Like what do I know? I'm rapping to myself. And then it did evolve into um starting to think process a lot of things. Um mostly grief came up. And grief is not always surrounded, um, it's not always about death, right? It's just loss of what you thought would be. And so grief comes up. Um processing that, it's almost like I was able to empty I described it to my kids as picture a trash can that's like overflowing, and it's like I was able to take out the trash. (laughs) That's how it felt. Yeah, Mm -hmm. empty those thoughts. And so the time did start to pass once I was processing a lot of different things that have happened and letting letting things go. And I did cry a little bit, and I talked to myself a lot. I'm like, "Are people like what? Why is she still walking?
2: I don't know." I saw. Yeah, I saw her hours ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So did you take like a backpack of like food and water? Yeah, I had a, I had a pack.
3: I kept it full of all kinds of things to eat. And then I would take little breaks and sit down and stretch and eat and journal. And that's kind of what they asked
2: us to do. So. wow, well, that is actually really cool. We yeah. could probably all use something similar yeah. to that in our Doesn't lives. Doesn't have to be 12 really hours.
1: Cool. What if you took Taking a, out the trash, one yeah. hour
3: Yeah, and take out the trash, just silence, you know?
1: Hmm. That's interesting. And so interesting that you just did it yesterday. Yeah. yeah that is cool. <laughs> so, and what, what are the ages of your kids? I don't know. We didn't talk about that in the bio.
3: Right now, my oldest is Lennon. He's 15 and Larry is 13. Ruby is 10 and Tommy is eight.
1: Oh, wow. That's like the same as me. I have a 15 year old, 13 and then eight year old twins. So. Oh, you too? We just line right up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Twin girls or boys? Uh, Boy, girl. One of each. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But that's neat. Okay. I love to like get the vision for the kids asking you the questions and yeah. Yeah, Anyway, that's that's cool. Yeah.
2: And then we did just talked about that. We grew up in Stansbury Park, but do you want to talk about maybe your family dynamics and maybe some of your hobbies or... Things you did growing up in Stansbury, I, you did mention running across the golf course, which is just part of living in Stansbury. Like it is. I mean, my friends lived across the golf course, and the pool was across from us. So all summer long, it was back and forth to the pool, to my friends' houses. Over the lake was on the other side too. So yeah, that's was so funny. Like yeah, that is definitely part of growing up in Stansbury. <laughs>
3: now that I'm an adult, I'm like they must have hated us, these golfers. Oh, I'm They're sure like, the golfers yelling golf, at us. Golf
2: course. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but that was just the quickest way to get to the other side of Stansbury Park. And so a lot of running across the golf course. Um, horn rigging is something we did in high
2: school. Did you do that, Chantal? No, I was like, what the heck's horn rigging? I don't <laughs> even know what that is. I missed that.
3: I tell Season. friends, they're not country unless they know how to rig a horn. And it's just going around when you're bored on a Friday night and checking car doors to see one that's open. Now it probably wouldn't work. Everyone. Oh. And you just get... You know, a broomstick or something that's long enough. And if the door's open, you put it against the driver's seat and then you put it against the horn.
2: Oh,
1: and it and just, then you
3: oh my
2: gosh.
1: And it just keeps honking. Oh, that's funny. Okay, I had no fun. clue what that was. I know, I was, I was picturing like was a to... cow. That's what <laughs> I'm like... I'm like, is she like, roping like I cows or something. i know i was like I did you hang on urda more yeah. than stands i know right I, yeah i had
3: a few <laughs> Erda boyfriends but no it was um
1: oh it's so rigging
3: it's just good clean fun you guys our kids need oh wow good yeah, clean yeah. Fun. more of that now though they'd probably get in trouble
1: well i was gonna say but what like i guess you broke into the car but you didn't damage anything you no? just it was unlocked yeah. or something yeah
3: <laughs> unlocked that's on them yeah <sighs> no but yeah. i love growing up there we were there my dad uh, neither of my parents were from the area, which made us different, right? A lot of families had generations. Yeah, well, both
2: my parents were from the area. Yeah, mm. so
3: we were definitely transplants. And my dad was a chemical engineer for the government. And he w- received a job offer out of college to work at the Dugway Proving Grounds. So he and my mom found a place for us to live in Stansbury. And he commuted a, a long distance every day.
2: Yeah, that's so- pretty far. Mm.
3: Yeah, it was a far for him. So that was, so it's where we grew up. Um, The people of Stansbury Park are still, I consider, our family. Just the community and the way they wrap their arms around you when you need it. I just, I'll always love that place a lot.
2: Yeah, it was a great place to grow up.
1: Mm, That's cool. And so did you live there all through, like, graduation of high school and everything?
3: I did. And when I went to college, my mom ended up relocating To Provo to be closer to family. Um, When I was 16 the summer of before my junior year my dad traveled a lot for work and he was on a business trip and was transferring flights in LAX and he dropped of a massive heart attack. He was 43 and when I think about that like my husband's 45 and so when I picture him being this age that we are, it's really shocking to me how young he was when I look back. Wow. He um, he was diabetic, and so this heart attack really really did a lot of damage to his heart. So we got a phone call. We thought maybe it was a diabetic situation, and the next morning it was kind of like a phone call saying to my mom, "You need to come out to L.A." So she went out there, and his he ended up losing his kidney function, Um, his liver was failing. There were a lot of things that suddenly went wrong. And we really came close to losing my dad. So, yeah, that summer, my mom was pretty much gone. She was in L.A. with him, and he was fighting for his life. And so I became, you know, we had family that would come out and help us, which I'm so grateful for when I look back. I'm like, they all had things they needed to do. But I was 16. So I was working full time. I remember I was mowing the lawn and then I was trying to get the twins to practice. My sisters are twins
2: to practice mm. piano.
3: I'm, you know, I'm the oldest. And so it's like, I remember trying to just keep it all together for everyone. But,
2: um, yeah, that reminds me actually, my mom went out there with your mom for part of it to be um, with your mom. I think mom.
3: about that a lot because my mom, I mean, it was a scary, he was in Inglewood, California and it was a lot of sitting and waiting. And so I think about that a lot, like with my, friendships now it's like when something like that happens who gets on a plane and comes out and sits with you and it's like those are your those are your people Mm -hmm. your mom and janine both came out and sat with my mom um during one of the darkest darkest times that she was having so yeah friends like that
2: are are just so valuable yeah i loved them the three of them
1: together Yeah, yeah me too so did he recover? Like, I mean, was he able to still function all right and everything after that? Or
3: yeah, it was miraculous. Um, I got a call at work saying you need to get on a flight with your siblings and um, go say goodbye to your dad. Like, it got really bad. They, mm-hmm. my my brother was on a fifty mile hike for scouts, and my uncles hiked the hike until they got to him, and they chartered a plane, someone's plane, and um, to get him to LA. And we went in and said goodbye to my dad. That We had 11 doctors tell us that that was it. Um, and that's when I think about our community. I remember our church got together like on a Tuesday night and um, they held like a fast um, with prayer. It's just specified, from, like just directed at my family and my dad. And he made it through that night that he wasn't supposed to make it through. And it's like who knows why and who knows what what was happening, but the doctors were all shocked the next day when he was still alive and his vitals were even better. So he ended up making it through the summer. He had a six bypass open heart surgery at the end of the summer. They took, I believe like the veins from his legs and then used them to open up his heart. And so my dad, who was healthy before he left, he was playing tennis. We made sugar cookies the night before he left, um, came home a few months later with a walker and on oxygen
2: mm. and
3: so it was a huge huge change for our family
2: I loved your dad like I felt like he just loved music and so yeah. I whenever I have there's certain songs or certain artists or, that make me think of your dad and I also have a couple of songs I play on the piano that I don't know why but I can remember him being there and wanting him he wanted me to play a song for him and so I have a, wow. certain songs where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I so remember playing this
1: oh, that's cool. <laughs> for your
2: dad. So I That makes him.
3: me so happy. He was um, definitely a quirky guy, but he did. He loved music. <laughs> passed that on to all of us. All of us love music. And um, he lived for another 13 years, which really was like borrowed time. We were really lucky that he was able to he became a grandpa. I, I married Todd and we had our first two boys and he was able to be a grandpa, which is like the coolest thing before he passed away
2: um in 2010 so
1: Hmm. yeah
2: yeah he was awesome loved him
1: yeah
2: for sure all right and then now you're in Vegas or like Summerlin right
3: yep we've been here for almost 20 years I know that's so crazy I
2: remember um what year would it have been Peyton was seven and we stopped by your house and swam at your pool on the way back we drove from Utah to um back to Marietta and we stopped and swam at your pool. I was with my mom cause my mom was driving back with me. Like we had come up for the summer and then she was coming back and she was just going to fly home later. But, and That's I think fun. you're, I don't even, I, I think your mom may have been there. Maybe we, I don't know. We just had a little reunion at your house and swam at your pool. <laughs>
3: do you, do you know about the reunion they had at my house where I was just like hosting them and it was
2: my mom, no.
3: Janine and your mom. And they came out for the Rod Stewart concert.
2: Oh yes. yes. I was like, <laughs> you guys are wild. Well, what's so funny about Rod Stewart is I used to I did not like him and so and I knew my mom did and every time like I'd be like really do we have to play Rod Stewart <laughs> but awesome. yeah. it was so fun they, it
1: the was,
3: they were loving it so yeah that was yeah a, awesome. it was a fun memory
2: yeah that was really cool okay so maybe we'll move into your transition since we've gotten your little background about you um so what was going on in your life at the time you know that Christy had her overdose, you know, maybe even before the overdose, because I know she was yeah, kind of on the road to recovery and everything. So yeah, maybe you can tell us.
3: Okay, so I'm I'm the oldest of four kids. It goes me, my next my brother Tommy, and then our twin sisters, Christy and Carrie. And um Christy it's like, where do I even start? Christy was such a funny kid, a total tomboy. And so you watch these two twins growing up and you see one that wants to clog and wear like a puffy dress and the other one who's screaming, that doesn't want to wear a dress to church or get her hair curled. I mean, they were just total opposites. And, um, Christy was just naturally good at everything she tried. She, like I said, they moved to Provo and that was when the twins were freshmen and she tried out for the high school basketball team and made it on the varsity team as a freshman.
1: Oh, wow. without
3: any connections or anyone even knowing her. So it's just, that's just who she was. She was just naturally athletic and, and Christy was extremely, extremely funny. I think something I miss the most about her is when I see something that I know she would appreciate, I just want to be able to send it to her. Right. Cause you know what would make her laugh, but yeah. So she, um, graduated from Provo high school, Provo high school. And she was, um, at Utah state and i think that's where the trouble started. She was separated from Carrie, her twin, who looking back, i think took care of Christy a lot, you know, kind of took care of things and i i think that Christy was very disoriented not being with Carrie. Mm-hmm. And i know it started with, you know, wine coolers and drinking and um it's hard because and maybe my mom will have a better timeline, but we never really got a timeline from her before she died. I know she had a sinus surgery and received pain pills from that. I know my dad had pain pills just from his condition. I don't really know where or when the addiction started, but it was prescription pain pills. Mm -hmm. And her personality started to change. Her behavior became erratic and it started to feel like someone that really wanted attention, someone who was just trying to shock everyone. I just couldn't figure out where she had gone. Um, and we figured out she was addicted to drugs. There are so many things to this. You guys, when people, when families love someone who's addicted to drugs, it is so incredibly complicated So it's like if you were to interview her friends, their perspective would be very different than ours. But as her family, it's like she'd put us through so much stealing and lying and, you know, not being always so great to my mom. But all of it is part of the disease. Fast forward to her um, switching to heroin, which a lot of pill addicts do because it's so much cheaper. And she went to rehab, finished her time there. And this is after several detoxes that my mom would take her to and several attempts to get clean. And so we assumed she was clean, clean, meaning she hadn't, she wasn't taking heroin anymore, but we were wrong. And I look back at pictures and texts even, and I'm shocked that we didn't know, but I do think that denial is a very real thing that our minds do to protect us from really scary things that are true. Right. Yeah. Like not really wanting to face that maybe she was using. Um, So she was, and she had just lost her job in March of 2016. And my mom let her move back in. And I remember saying, mom, what are you doing? We're, we talked about this. We don't, we don't enable her, we don't and I remember her saying, I have the strongest feeling that she just needs to be somewhere safe. So I was like, All right, but of course I'm just being bossy and wanting to fix everything. And um, you know, a couple of weeks later she was gone. And my mom called me on a Monday and said, Hey, I I can't get a hold of Christy. I'm at work. I have the worst feeling. And I was like, mom, I'm sure she's fine. And she's like, she's not answering. And I was like, mom, I'm sure she's asleep. And she said, "Will you just stay on the phone with me so I can just drive home and just go check on her. Will you just stay on the phone? So I stay on the phone and we talked about the kids and we talked about, you asked um, what was happening. I had an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old when this happened. So we're talking about all of this and then um, she's looking through the house and my mom was the one that found her while we were on the phone. Oh, wow. But again, that denial is real because I still didn't believe her. And it was later, she put a paramedic on the phone to tell me because I, d- I didn't believe it. But I really didn't believe it. Like, my body couldn't accept it because I've already lost my dad and so I'm thinking you can't lose both so right. she's probably just passed out or she's it's a weird thing but it was very real and um that was in March of 2016
2: yeah that wow. is really hard I um I can it's interesting I can I mean I came to her funeral and um, I mean, I, I babysat her when she was younger. So like, I felt like I kind of knew her a little bit, but then of course, you know, I moved away and I got married, had kids and I hadn't seen her for, you know, years and years. And, um, and my mom and your mom are still close and stuff. So I'd hear about all you guys. And, um, I, I feel like it's one of, you know, how some people, they call it a funeral and some call it like a celebration of life. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like hers, um, was that like I, when I think of that, I mean, it's obviously was super sad and really hard, but I felt like you guys, and you, I mean, like we talked about, you guys have a lot of humor, but I, I felt like each one of your, you know, talks and messages were filled with like the happy things of Christy and the funny things of her and the stories of her that like, it was, it was, you guys did a really good job. It was a really um, special funeral.
1: I felt like, mm-hmm. That's was really I,
3: cool. I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you going. It's like, I've, Maybe you know about this too, like with your mom, but it's like I don't even remember a lot about that day, just little things, but I appreciate that you were even there. And um, I mean, a 28 year old is gone, and not just a 28 year old, but she was, she used to sneak into the back of a pizza delivery car. Like as they're delivering the pizza, she would sneak into the back seat of their car and crouch down. So when they drove away, it's like she's going to scare them a block oh later. Gosh. Like Christy was just funny and she was um, wow. always doing stuff like that. And so that kind of a funeral is like this impossible task to help everyone there feel how what an immense loss it was, but also help them feel like how funny and how how joyful she was when she was there. So...
1: Yeah, so you say she was 28 when she passed away, right? But um, she started kind of experimenting, you think, with drugs like in college? Like 10 years. Yeah, so it was a pretty long road, it sounds like. It
3: was a long road with a lot of um, admissions to like psych wards Mm. because addiction comes with um, suicidal ideation a lot of times, depression, mental illness, and it's hard to say which came first, right? Is someone depressed? so they take drugs, or is someone taking drugs and then they become? I mean, I really don't know. I'm not an expert on it, but I do know what we saw, and it was a very, very lost little girl. And she came out to us and told us that she was gay, probably like early twenties, and we're from a very, um, a very religious lds family and i i don't know what that must have been like for her to grow up Mm. in this church that i know she loved growing up for a lot of reasons but it probably also hurt her at the same time and um, i don't know how you reconcile those two things and i don't know how you exist in two different worlds like that where you don't really belong in either one if that makes sense Yeah. And so I look back and I, because addiction is not necessarily about the substance, because if you have Mm -hmm. ample connection and love and belonging in your life, you could probably take the same thing that she took and walk away from it a lot easier because you don't necessarily need it. And you're not trying to numb from a very deep place of loneliness But addiction happens. It's a combination of factors. And she, she, I think, I feel, didn't feel like she really belonged anywhere. And that is a scary place to be when you mix it with substances.
2: Yeah. And then, I mean, and then just thinking about the time period, I think things have gotten a little bit better, you know, when it comes to more resources or maybe not feeling alone because more people have come out that are LDS and whether they choose to stay in the church or not, it's more common, you know, and then we interviewed Richard Osler and he had a lot of good, just advice and experience and wisdom, um, and just Mm -hmm. acceptance for people, you know, deciding what they decide to do, whether they stay in the LDS church or not. Um, but being very, very supportive of who they were and wanting them to make sure that they felt connection. You know, there's a lot of places like that. There's the encircle house, in Provo and I think they've opened up three or four more and it's trying to find it's trying to give these kids and adults young adults a place where they do feel belonging they do feel connection so that maybe they don't turn to drugs or suicide um because everybody wants to feel like they belong you know yeah. and feel connected
1: i think about society as a whole has come a long way with the lgbtq um awareness and movement and stuff just in the last 10 to 15 years, but also the church has, I mean, I still think that there's a lot of progress that needs to be made there, but it's just hard. Cause I feel like your sister came out at a time where it probably wasn't uh, even society. I mean, it was probably barely kind of turning that corner where I feel like it was becoming less taboo to talk about, it, especially like here in Utah where it's such a conservative base and you know, so I can totally see how that would be hard. And then people do turn to self-medicating like that's just to numb the pain and, and then that shame so it's totally you know it's tragic but understandable
3: additionally too like um talking about your kid being on drugs was unheard of it was something mm-hmm. that you families tried to keep secret there are probably a number of reasons I feel like a big one that the reason why we didn't talk about it a lot was because we didn't want people to think less of her we didn't You know, if somebody has cancer, you can say, my sister has cancer, and everyone rallies around this person with cancer. If we told someone, "Chrissy's a heroin addict, it does not land the same way. And that has changed. That has changed, too. It's slowly changing. So I do feel like she died right as a lot of progress was being made. But, oh, and I... Feel like her death was a catalyst for a lot of change in our family, in the way I'm raising my kids, in the way I see other human beings. It's um, it's it's completely changed um, the lenses that I'm viewing life through.
0: Hmm.
3: So
2: yeah, and that's kind of what you hope with any you know tragedy and anything that's hard that that they're, you know, you don't want to say there's a reason that she died. I have a hard time with that a yeah. reason for hard things, but if you can, yeah, find a way to grow and to help others. And obviously that's what you're doing is later when we talk about your foundation, but, um, yeah, I mean, you just want to be able to make a difference, make a change yeah. and help others in her situation. And, so
1: that's, yeah. that's great. And I like how you brought that up that um, sometimes I think we don't talk about things. And I do agree that it's gotten better. But it's not um, – I think sometimes – you know, people can think, Oh, you're not talking about this because you're ashamed or whatever. But I think a lot of times it is protecting the family member, you know, the ones you love. Yeah. With addiction or even sexuality or Mm -hmm. those kind of things. I think it's a really hard struggle, especially in these religious communities, because we know what those judgmental people are thinking. You know what I mean? I've had both in my family. I've had an addiction and a close family member, LGBTQ. So I can totally relate. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard because you want to be more open and you want to like tell people a little bit, but then also, you know, that they're going to judge them and and that's not fair. So you kind of want to protect, but that contributes to the cycle. So I'm just grateful. There are these voices, you know, like Richard Osler and many others in the community that are starting to break down the stigmas, but, and you, you know, just yeah. by getting on here and sharing, and I'm sure all the other things that you've shared with your foundation and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate and we had it, that
2: um, One of our first interviews was, um, not my sister, Carrie, but a different Carrie and not your sister, Carrie, but, um, she talked, she was an addict and she talks about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being in rehab and losing her family. It was really, and it was so great to have her perspective because yeah, I have family members that, you know, have been addicts. I have friends, but I had never like gone really deep, you know, some of the harder, um, episodes that we have about suicide and drug addiction and, um, you know, cancer, everybody can relate to those things because we all know somebody. We all know somebody that has tried right. to commit suicide or, ha- or has, we all know somebody that has been addicted to drugs. We all know somebody that has had cancer or died of cancer. So, you know, I mean, like you're saying c- cancer seems to like view it differently. Like you didn't choose this, but like some of these other things, they don't actually choose either. I mean, it's just, yeah. nah, it's hard. It's, hard. Yeah. it's
3: not to diminish cancer and it's not, no, very, not at all. It's super but hard it's thing. It's more like the sh- there's no shame attached
1: to it. Right. Yeah. It is different that way.
3: So when Christy died, my mom, we're writing the obituary, and my mom thought about it for a while and decided she wanted to include the cause of death.
0: Mm.
3: And I remember my brother was so uncomfortable with it because he was being protective of Christy. Like, Mom, you can't just tell everyone that. You're throwing her under the bus, and we don't, right? And I understood what he was saying, but my mom was like, but this is what happened. And there are other families that are dealing with this that feel alone, like I did. And they don't know where to get help, like I did. Because it's very isolating when you don't tell anyone. And it's hard to find help when you don't tell anyone. So she included it in Chrissy's obituary. And a handful of moms that she had never met showed up to the funeral, who had also buried their kids Mm -hmm. after heroin overdoses.
1: Wow. You know, I love that you brought that up, because I think about it is protecting the individual and our own families when we kind of keep things in. But when we open up, it's kind of like what we've talked about, like, and make those connections. That's kind of the way that we do heal. And we're never going to, I mean, something like that. So traumatic, there's always going to be loss and, and heartache and, you know, hurt. And obviously, but, but just those connections, I think can make us feel not so alone. And, you know, I was just talking recently to a family member about um, this actually, where she, her son, had been in an addiction and she was having a lot of like mental health crisis of her own. And she's like, I tried therapy, I tried medication, everything. And she's like, finally, what helped me heal was going to group therapy and talking about it and feeling like other people understood, you know, where I was at with this. And so I don't know, I've thought about that a lot and thought, um, yeah, just sharing our stories, I think can be so healing and not feeling alone. So that's really cool that she was connected with those other moms.
3: I know. I was proud of, I was really proud of her. I think that was a really brave decision that she made. And
2: yeah, it's hard.
3: Yeah.
2: Super brave. of
1: her. Yeah. That is really hard, but like, it's really neat that she was brave and did that. So, and then it sounds like her funeral was, positive i mean it's so sad but yeah i'm glad it reflected her. it was very different than
2: a lot of funerals and i just was like wow this is what i would want for me or my loved ones because of course it's so sad and of course but you're coming to like show the people that are there and the person that passed that you love them and care about them Mm -hmm. and then to be able to just kind of hear these fun stories and have some laughter and have it really be like sometimes when people say, "Oh, celebration of life," I'm like, "Oh, that sounds way better than funeral." It I don't is. even know if you guys called it that, but in my mind, I was like, "Oh, this is a celebration of Christy and the and who she is and who she, what kind of person she was and the the joy and laughter and just that she brought to your family and it was it was really great.
1: That's
3: cool. Something I loved about her funeral was the mixture of demographics.
1: Mm-hmm. You I had
3: uh, you know a bunch of old school Mormon families. You had you know, people that in that congregation that go to church there. And then you had friends of hers that had probably never even been inside an LDS church. And you had girls that she had dated. She had, she was blessed to date some of the coolest and most compassionate women, you know, before she passed and having, you know, a couple of them there. And just the mix of people that were not all from that group meant a lot to me because I'm like, this represents Christy. She was all mm-hmm. of this. She wasn't just one thing. None of us really are. And I love that. I loved seeing them there and bringing a hat for her and showing up to a place that maybe they didn't even, I don't even know. I can't speak for them if they even felt welcome, but they came. And that just meant a lot to our family
2: yeah oh yeah christy always wore a hat huh they brought always wore
3: a snapback hat (laughs) yeah
2: oh yeah she's cute yeah um yeah so maybe we can go into a little bit um i don't know it's what some of the most challenging parts of that for you or most vulnerable parts and we talked a little bit about even just admitting the cause of death was very you know vulnerable um for your mom and your family but what about you as a sister
3: So I knew what grief felt like because we had buried my dad six years before. So I knew grief. This was a different type of grief for me. And when I say grief, I know it's different for everyone. So I only know what happened in my experience. But uh, an overdose of a 28-year-old is a much more complicated grieving process than a dad that got sick and there was nothing we could do and he passed away. That was tragic in itself. It's my only dad and he was my kid's grandpa and there was a different sadness attached to that. This this grief was filled with regret and regret, like really intense regret, which I've decided is I think maybe the worst feeling.
2: Yeah, Yeah. like you could have stopped it or changed it or helped her.
3: Yeah. I was convinced for a couple of years that it was my fault because she had reached out to me over the years, many times. Um, and even one time said, Holly, I think I'm addicted to drugs. I, I don't know. It's like three in the morning. And I was like, Christy, go back to bed. And now that I've spent more time with people in recovery, it's, a very big deal when someone admits that they need help. And I didn't understand. I did not understand. I remember her and I staying up one night late and she was trying to explain to me why addiction was a disease. And I kept saying, no, it's not. It's a choice. It's not. It's a choice. I had very black and white thinking. And I even said to her, I didn't choose to take heroin, so I'm not addicted to it. You chose to take heroin, so now you're always going to be addicted to it. I mean, logically, that makes sense, right? And I was wrong. I was so wrong. And it it's not until you're looking at somebody in a casket and you realize how wrong you had been and how many times she had tried to explain it And all I could remember was me giving her advice. You know what you should do? You should sign up for a triathlon. Maybe if you get involved and you start exercising, you can replace that with this. I had no clue what I was talking about. And that regret was very haunting, very, really haunting. And, I mean, it goes on, the list is so long of things, but like, why didn't we know that she was on drugs? I saw her the weekend before she died. Why didn't I pick her up and put her in my car and take her to a rehab? Why did I drive away? Why did I walk away? You know, I mean, it goes on.
2: Yeah, it's very similar to, you know, the feelings when someone commits suicide. I mean, you feel like I could I have would imagine. done this, I could have said this, I could have. And it's just so hard to not have those thoughts, I'm sure.
3: Well, anything that feels preventable, any Mm -hmm. death that feels preventable, you're really looking at yourself. At least I was, you know, and I finally was sitting in a a session with a therapist, a really good therapist I found after she died. And she said something to the effect of, so you're that powerful. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're just so powerful that you could have prevented this whole thing from happening because you're just that powerful. And I was like, oh. And she's like, you're, you're not
2: right. Yeah. I had this uh, stranger actually. And, um, we were doing my sister's interview and hers is about suicide. Cause she tried to commit suicide in high school. And I mentioned this in her episode, but her, my Uber driver, he's, he's, he's like, Oh, what are you doing today? Cause I had to drop my car off. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually starting a podcast. And Oh, what's it about? And he had just lost his um, brother to suicide. And he said that exact thing to me. He goes, I spent months blaming myself I should have like gone. he invited me to dinner or something like there was something there was just all these little things I should have gone to dinner with him I should have invited him to my house I should have and he said the same thing it was someone told me what makes you think you're so amazing and powerful that you could have stopped somebody oh that kind of hurts but like at the same time it kind of it makes sense and it does take the maybe the regret and the blame off of you because who knows if you would have done all those things you think you should have done this still could have happened but you don't you can't know that
3: I can't know that and like you said you don't want to be like there's a reason why but I what I do believe is that we're here to learn cuz we are and and I learn the most when I have pain that's when like progress is made usually and that's when we kind of crack open and we have an opportunity to get better and so I guess I just see this whole thing as something that happens Accepting that that's what happened. It just is. This is how it went. And I only knew what I knew back then. And I made decisions on what I knew back then. And that's appropriate. That's what we all do every day. We only know what we know. And we do the best with what we know. So, you know.
2: Yeah. We talked about that with um, Brandy, that's the therapist. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. The, the, radical the, yeah. Radical the radical
1: acceptance. Yeah, radical acceptance. Yes. Very yeah. Real. It was really good. And I actually, as, I was, I was listening back to that episode cause it just came out today. I could tell that I could see myself not saying anything for a minute Cause I think I was processing it in my brain. Like, Whoa, okay. I'm, I'm finally on. Yeah. It was kind of like the way that she explained it to me in that, in that, um, I almost said session <laughs> in that episode <laughs> really made sense. But it's like sometimes having to accept these things that we would normally never accept under any other circumstance, but, but that is the way forward. And just to, I don't know. I, yeah. it was, it was, re- I thought it was really good. Yeah, the she And then she
2: kind it. of, I think part of it, or maybe before and after we also talk, talked about giving our past self grace because we yes. didn't know what we didn't know. Mm. And we, you know, we yeah. learn and we grow and we're not that person because we've learned and grown. So you can't be blaming that, you know, yourself back in your past. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah. how did you, um, I mean, I'm I'm sure that you still have moments of going back to that place of having some regret. I mean, it's probably hard not to, but, What, um, was it that therapy that session and without that therapist that kind of helped you start to move out of that trap that you were in, in your mind for those couple of years, or how, how were you able to move forward from that?
3: Uh, it was a combination of things, but it was a lot of therapy sessions processing Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again. And I even have done some EMDR. Have you guys ever done that?
1: Yeah, I haven't, but I've heard of it.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've done some of that to let go of all these things I was carrying around that a aren't going to bring her back and B they're not serving me at all in my life. They're not helping my family. They're not helping my marriage. They're not helping my mental health. So why am I choosing to carry this around? Um, But it did take a lot of time and I almost feel like, so you mentioned second chance. I almost feel like starting second chance was part of my way to say i'm sorry honestly like in the beginning yeah Hmm. um i felt like i owed her so much um we were close i i was like a mom to her my mom worked and she was like my little baby and i felt responsible for her and i did feel like i let her down but um her year anniversary was approaching and After she died, I reached out to my good friend, Jenny Slade, and she comes from a family of five girls, also an LDS family here in Las Vegas. Her dad was a stake president for a long time. Everybody here knows them. They've been here for a long time, and they lost two daughters to overdose. Mm, So just picture that, like five girls down to three. And bearing two daughters about three years apart, I believe, Wow. to the same thing. And so I reached out to Jenny because I'm like, nobody else knows what this is like. And I asked, I'm like, could we talk? Could I come over? I, I wonder if there's something we could do for Chrissy's anniversary to just try to do something. So we need to do something. And I went over to their house, and um, we were just talking and. I was like, I know I like to exercise and it makes me feel better. And I know that there's walks for Alzheimer's, there's walks for diabetes and breast cancer, but where's the event for people and families that are affected by addiction? Like where's the event that cheers on people who are dealing with this alone? And so we talked about a 5k and what if, and her dad was in the kitchen. I remember him saying, well, it sounds like you guys want to give people second chances. And we were like, well, 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 that's (laughs) such a good idea. And so we're like second chance 5k because we were both talking about our regrets and how we wish our families could have a second chance and do it again, but we can't, but there are a lot of families out there who can, and there are a lot of people out there that are still struggling with addiction. And if they have breath, then they have another chance. And so that discussion led to him saying, what about Second Chance 5K? And it sort of just took on its own life. I like. I really can't take credit for much that happened after that. I had this idea, and I took it to them. And then this—they're—they're they're the Schlatters—is her maiden name. The Schlatter family knows how to take something and make it unbelievable, and make it beautiful, and make and and get people to show up because they're—they're they're just gifted that way and so I'm thinking let's just get a table and throw some bananas on it and I'll have a boom box and we'll play music and they're like oh no <laughs> we're gonna get t-shirts we're gonna get a dj we're going to get sponsors we're going to and it's like they took it and with all these gifts that they have and all the pain that they've had losing their two sisters and their daughter it became something and we planned it in a month the first 5k oh, wow. we planned we did it in a month which is so That's crazy. and we had sponsors wow. and and we raised $15,000 just by people showing up, buying t-shirts and donating. And that's how it started.
1: Wow, that's cool. And how many years ago was that when you started it?
3: Our first race was in 2017. Oh, wow. So this year will be our fifth in-person race. But we lost a couple years to COVID. We did um, virtual events. So... We, yeah, we've become our own nonprofit now. I had no idea what a nightmare that is. So anyone that has a nonprofit, it's <laughs> like, just hug them, pat them on the back and tell them they're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. You, yeah. you want to do a good thing, but it's like, the, the, I don't know. Really, I'm not, I'm not a professional when it comes to addiction, recovery, nonprofits, but you start to realize that when, when you start something and doors just keep opening, you just have to keep walking through that next door and and see what's there.
2: Yeah. And I feel like when you put something out there and you start the process, then things doors open, like people are oh, I can yeah. I have a DJ you can use. I have yes. you know, I have a connection to someone that makes T shirts or whatever. Like some yes. you know, things All like of kinda Yes. Fall into place when you just put it out there, especially when you're
1: trying to help people. So That's neat. So you do it there in Vegas, is that?
3: Yeah, so we do it every March. That was Christy's anniversary, and her birthday is in March, Mm -hmm. Um, which also I should mention her sister, her twin, Carrie, my sister. Mm -hmm. I really don't know what this has been like for her. I don't know what it would be like to have a twin and still have that same birthday, and now there's an event right around my birthday about your twin that passed away. I mean, it's a lot. Right. And I think it's yeah. important to mention Carrie and the special loss that she's had and that how we still have this event every year that is kind of a reminder, but it's also this really beautiful thing. Like sometimes I'm standing there at these five K's that have grown so much. I, I think we had between 800 and a thousand people at our last event and a lot of them were in recovery. Like our first event was a lot of Summerlin families. They look just like me and they have their cute strollers and their kids and their good life. And they're there to help and I appreciate them. They are the reason we were able to start this, but this last event was our friends and then also a large showing of from the recovery community. People coming from the other side of town People jumping off buses, people who got off bus stops and then walked three miles to get to this. I mean, people who are two days sober, one day sober, have been homeless. It It's mm-hmm. a very humbling thing. And to stand there and to see all these people together and think this wouldn't have happened if Christy hadn't passed away and if Amber and Leah, their sisters hadn't passed away. It's a very, like, it's a very touching experience and it's yeah
2: yeah I'm sure you've met all kinds of different people and learned from them and connected with them that you yeah would never otherwise yeah I think that's
1: neat to think about the people that attend that are in recovery themselves or have been addicts like um for them to be able to go to an event like that and see all the support that's there for them like kind of the invisible support that they don't Probably know about when they're in the depths of recovery and it's so hard. But I'm sure it's something that like buoys them up and helps them feel like they can stick with their recovery, you know? So I think that's probably a huge inspiration. It's really cool. And then a comfort for the families. And like you said, it's a way to honor her memory. And so that's a, just a lot of neat things wrapped up into that event.
3: I think. Yeah. At the last couple of events, we've had um, resource tables. So we've invited, you know, 20 local rehabs that we know. To come and they set up a table and they, they offer free resources to people. Mm. There are parents there who are like, and I'm not even saying this is happening across town. There are parents from our community whose kids are addicted to heroin. It is, it is not discriminate. It is not a, a rich, poor, black, white. It doesn't matter. It's, it is everywhere. And if you don't think your kid has access to it, you're wrong. It's everywhere. So we've even had people that we know and who are raising their kids with us reach out to us saying I'm an addict or my husband's an addict. And, and it's like, you didn't know that. And so it's, it's this combination of them feeling like they're being cheered on, but also this bridge connecting the two because we're all actually the same. And we have the same value, whether we are on drugs or not, whether we're in recovery or not, whether we're from this side of town or that side of town, it's like we are the same. And so I like, I like that merging of these different worlds together. Cause in my mind it's, there's no difference in, in, in our
2: value, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. I love they do that. And that it's been growing. And so which week yeah. in March is it this year?
3: So it's going to be on March 25th this year, because we're just hoping sometimes we've had one bad weather, but usually March is gorgeous and spring comes early here. So it's like blossoms and sunshine and, um we have a lot of family that comes from utah which we've always appreciated and people that come from different places too to do it and people bring strollers and they bring dogs it's very low-key there's not even timed it's just walking running biking this loop nearby our house and the local elementary school has let us use their campus each year we have food trucks we have a dj resource tables and usually a a message or a speaker, someone from the recovery community um, just to educate and again, help spread the message that we are trying to eliminate the shame that surrounds addiction. And we've also learned firsthand that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but the opposite of addiction is connection. And it's important and it's, it's really hard because addiction is a very naturally isolating disease For a lot of reasons. So we're trying to connect and the money that we raise, we've sort of evolved into, we thought we would offer scholarships, but sometimes you could raise money for one person and you hand it to them. And now there's a lot of pressure on that one person. You better use this and you better get better, you know, and statistically it probably won't happen the first time. So we've decided to sort of partner with a different organization each year and highlight them for the year let our community know what they do, who they are and the money for that year goes towards them to help, help them with what they're doing.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like an organization that's involved in addiction recovery and those, and those type of things. Mm -hmm. That's awesome to help support them. That's really cool. I was thinking about, um, when you were saying, you know, I think that's so good that you have resources there available because thinking about people that might come, I mean, you never know, like you could connect someone with a therapist sometimes just like making the phone call to the therapist or even finding someone that you click with. And sometimes it's hard to tell just by like visiting a website. So you never know who you might be connecting with that. They just are finding the help that they finally need. So that's super cool. And then I liked how you brought up that we're all the same. Like that's something that we talked with Carrie about in our, um, the, the woman that was addicted to prescription medication and, and we kind of talked about like, we all have our addictions, you know, and, and we all have our shame spirals and stuff, but it just happens to be that these people fall into this one, um, who knows why it happens or whatever, but I think it's important to remember that. And then it kind of, it does level us all out, we are the same. And so anyway, I just appreciate you bringing that up and it's something good to remember. I think it takes away the, the shame for them, but then also the judgment for, yeah, um, for us.
2: And I feel like with anything when you actually listen to someone's story, instead of being othered or almost dehumanizing them, it humanizes them of like, oh, they're just a person just like me. Like you said, we almost all have the same, I feel like, you know, the same desire to be connected, to not feel alone, to feel loved. And that connection alone is like enough to be like, yeah, we are the same. And we all just want to feel that way. And until you actually listen to someone's story or, um, be open-minded to, you know, what they're experience has been, you can't have that vulnerability to like connect. And yeah, and I love that. I've heard that before that, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah.
3: I think Brene Brown says that
2: actually.
3: Our experiences backed it up for us. And like I said, we don't claim to be experts, but we know what we've been through. And we know that there are a lot of families we know who are going through it or will go through it. And so, um, we've even had people texting or calling us at different hours of the night do you have a place that my brother can go? And I make a couple phone calls or texts and these contacts we've made with these rehabs will say, give him my cell phone number. And so look at that wow. connection, right? You just, if you just know one contact point, one point of contact, then maybe you can get the help that you need for your loved one. And um, again, I just keep thinking how Christy would be so happy. She would be so happy to know she was helping people. And I know Amber and Leah would too. I feel like I've gotten to know them like through Jenny and her sisters and her mom. And um, they were just like us, but they didn't have, they weren't able, they didn't have the bandwidth to help people because of their, their addictions. And so it's cool to see it happening because of them.
2: Yeah. That's cool that you guys got have that space for them to help now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really that's really neat. I was just also thinking about how cool it is for you to be this example to your kids. I mean, earlier you talked about how the things that you've learned now you feel like are helping you in raising your children, but also like they can see you and you've been through something so tragic, but look what good you're doing, you know, to to try to, to help others. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. And it's
3: like, hopefully this isn't a lesson they'll have to learn or something that they'll have to go through, but life is just, it's, it's really hard and it can be really crushing sometimes. And so you always have a choice. You know, am I going, I could just stay in bed and pull the covers over my head. And I've had plenty of days like that, or maybe I could get up and I could do a little bit better today than I did yesterday. Or maybe I could try to, once I feel a little better, help somebody else out. And so, yeah, I, I hope my kids are learning that. And if, if anything, I hope my kids are just learning empathy For other people and especially people they don't understand and experiences that they haven't had and never feeling like they're better than someone because they don't live on the street or they, it's just, it's almost like I grew up thinking that I was so good because I was who I was and I was not, I was born into a family (laughs) that loved me. I was born into a safe community. All those things were gifted to me, right? I didn't earn any of them. So I want my kids to understand that. And I mean, I was able to take Lennon into the tunnels. There are tunnels that run underneath Las Vegas and they're drainage tunnels for flooding, but they're filled with homeless, a homeless community. There's 1500 people living there and the majority of them are addicted to drugs. And so the, the, the organization we um, partnered with this year was called Shine a Light. They literally go into the tunnels every Saturday morning, and they shine lights in the tunnels and say, we're here. Who's in here? Who needs a sandwich? Who needs a flashlight? Who needs tampons? And people come out of the tunnels, and they give them resources and blankets and coats, and their goal is to keep these people alive until they're ready to accept help, and they offer the help. Are you ready to come out tonight? you ready to come out today? And they use their names and the men that started shine light used to live in the tunnels. Wow,
1: so that's, that's where so cool. they
3: were. And for different reasons they were able to get out and get clean. And so now they're doing that. And so I was able to take my oldest with me on Christmas Eve and take him into the tunnels and show him this is their Christmas Eve. And you know what yours is going to look like, like it's
2: important. That's a good.
1: Yeah, sorry, I just got a little emotional. (laughs) That was a really um, beautiful visual, you know, the lights and the tunnels. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's uh, I, I've
3: personally, I'm Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I have never seen work as Christ-like as what they do, because they spend so much time and energy and resources to find one even one person that needs help. And they'll do it. And they, they tell them, if you're not ready today, that's okay. We'll just keep loving on you. And I'm like, that is it right there. You're not, you're not where I want you to be. I'll just keep loving you. Like I, it's been, it's been really inspiring to work with them. So
2: that's an amazing organization. And I had no idea there was tunnels under no, Vegas. I didn't Nobody knows. I know. No, that's crazy. And I mean, and just so cool. Like, like you said, because if they're not ready for help, they're not going to do what they need to do. And so to just, ha- they know that someone's there constantly. That's like when they're ready, they're, they'll, they'll be there to help them. That's really, it's that's just really a beautiful cool. organization. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And just the idea of the flashlight. Yeah. Being in the dark and like, All are you ready it. to come out? Like, yeah. yeah, it's really, really awesome. That's awesome. i to look that up. That's really yeah. cool. We can, do they have like a, like an Instagram or webpage or anything? Yes, like Shine a light. Okay. We'll, we'll you know, add that to our show notes it, and stuff sure. as long as, as, well as you're amazing
3: and, and they've been huge supporters of ours. So it's just,
2: yeah, that's really, really cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. I love following your, you know, the, the page, the, um, your 5k page and just seeing the cool things like the food drives or, and all the different things you get involved with and the different people that you guys meet because of this and help because of it. And it's really inspiring and awesome. It's really cool. cool.
3: That's Amy. I, again, none of this is really me. I am good at like bossing people around, but <laughs> Jenny's sisters Amy and Allie and her mom, their mom Linda, they're they do they just make everything so good and and help get the message across to the people that we know. So I'm glad that you enjoy it. I'll make sure she hears yeah, that's
2: that. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, Um, maybe you can. I mean, I feel like you've shared so much already with <laughs> wisdom and perspectives. And is there anything else you want to share? You know, any life perspectives or lessons or advice? Um, you could offer to others listening.
3: Yeah. So I'm just going to say it one more time. I'm not an expert on addiction or recovery. I don't even know what it feels like to be on that side of things. I just know what I've learned, um, losing Christy and then the things I've learned through second chance. Um, the things that I, I wish I had known is that addi- addiction is a disease and that my sister was very, very sick. She wasn't flawed. And she wasn't morally wrong. She was really sick. Um, something else I learned is that you can never spoil anybody with empathy. It's like I was trying to be so tough with her, like, come on, Christy, get up, Christy. And I've learned that if with our kids, with our spouses, with other people, you can never give enough empathy um, it's something that we all need in abundance. Something else I've learned and I had I was think I've been thinking about this a lot, so just cut me off whenever it's fine. No, You're this good? is great. Yeah. We love it. Um and this is for any relationship, but like less talking and more listening. And like listening and when they stop talking, you just keep listening because usually there's more. And I wish I had done that. I wish I had listened to Christy more and not to respond to her, but to understand her. Mm. I wish I had listened to understand and not to respond. And, um, the final one, and this comes from my therapist as well. You guys love your therapist. It's just such a blessing when you have someone that can remind you of really simple things, but she's told me several times is your only job is to love. And to tell that to an oldest child who wants to fix everything, I want to fix everything. I want, you have a problem, you call me and I'm going to fix it. I could just, I want, I want to make people feel better, but we just can't. And that's, that's, it's a control thing. It's a lot of things, right? It's not our job. Our job is to love. Our only job is to love our kids, our spouses, the people in our community. We can't solve all the problems, right? But we can, we can love each other. And so um, I know that I loved Christy. I know I could have loved her better, but I also know that she knew that I loved her. And so there's a lot of peace in that when someone's gone, yeah. that's our job It's just to love you. They don't do the choice. They don't make choices. You like you love them. They don't do what you hope they would do. You love them. So
1: and that's really good because, you know, you think about if you were struggling and having a hard time, who would you turn to, if you were ready to open up and, and want to make some change or something, it's not the person that was being hard with you and telling, you know, it is the person that you felt empathy and love from. So but there are hard things to remember, you know, in the moment, I think, when we feel like we have the answers and we want to tell them, as you're saying that, I'm like, all three of us are oldest. Yeah, you know, I was thinking like, that. Oh, like, okay, so I'm like, so I not it. our yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's hard, so, I know. We think we have all the answers, like we if they do. just would listen. <laughs> yeah. We do, that's the problem, yeah. we're always
3: right.
1: Yeah, it. yeah, I think. So, but yeah, I love that. In fact, as you're saying, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write these down and remember them, review them before I go talk to my kids, like, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, great. and we
2: talk. I feel like that comes up a lot too is just um, a little bit earlier you talked about like we can only – we can't control what happens. We can only control to how we react to what happens to us, and that comes up a lot. And then I just watched the a documentary on Netflix called Stutz, and it's a, a psychiatrist named Phil Stutz and the actor Jonah Hill. It's his therapist, and he kind of makes a movie about him, and he says that the three things we just always have to remember – And it's just like this, almost a radical acceptance to remember this is one, there's going to be pain, two, there's going to be uncertainty and three, there's going to be constant work. And if we can accept that that is life, then it doesn't mean it has to be all pain and insert. I mean, but it's just there. I think the radical acceptance Mm -hmm. that like, I can't prevent pain. I can't be certain or know or control what's going to happen to me. And that in order to survive in this life, we have to have constant work. And oh, that's really good. it's just, um, sometimes, yeah, kind of the radical, the radical part, like, wow. Okay. That is actually true. I think sometimes we want to pretend it's not, we want to pretend that life is supposed to be easy and joyful and we can have all the trips we want and the house we want and the perfect kids we want. And we all know that's not reality, but yet I think we still sometimes live that way for some reason. But, um, but I like the, just the, the simplicity of, you know, how you wrapped up in the end is just like love. I mean, we're not there to control. We're not there to. just, if we love people, it can be the biggest type of change.
3: No, I I agree with everything you're saying. And in yoga, I mean, Buddha, I think said that life is pain, that that is part of what life is. It is pain, but suffering is optional, right? And so pain will come, but you know, how much we choose to dwell on it, how much we choose to focus on it, how much we then take it to then, or create joy from it is our, it's up to us. And so, you know, there's a lot of power in that. We have a lot more power than we think to live
1: good lives. I think it's kind of a mindset shift too for a lot of us, like the culture that we grew up in, I think it's kind of Western culture, but also probably even more so LDS culture. Like if you do all these right things, you'll be happy, you know, and kind of that whole thing. and, and, it kind of goes against maybe our conditioning even to just accept that life is painful and life is hard, but we can still do good things with it and find the joy. Like you're saying. So
2: yeah. And I like that idea of the, you can choose to keep suffering. Like, yeah, there's going to be pain, but it's our choice. If we like, you know, said, don't get out of bed or don't move forward. That's our choice. Which
1: really comes back to the acceptance. Like if you choose to accept it, then you can move through it and kind of move past it. But if we don't accept it and resist, then we're just yeah. going to find ourselves in it over and over. So, and
3: that is suffering. I mean, we've all been there yeah. where I'm out. Like I'm just going to go ahead and hit this, hit my head against the wall another day with the same stuff.
1: And it's for yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: That's so true. Yeah. Well, I've loved everything you've said. It's been really, yeah, great. really good. Awesome. Um,
1: Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or maybe something that you say to yourself to kind of, we've had a few guests share something like that, or maybe something from an outside source that you'd like to share? I
3: do. I, one of my favorite quotes I did, I found after, right after Christy died and it was hopeful to me. Um, it's lyrics from Leonard Cohen and he says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And it, um, I I still remember when I read it and I thought.
2: I love that. It gave me the chills, yeah. yeah. Right?
3: And ring the bells that still can ring means enjoy the joy that's still in front of you. Ring the bells that still can ring and forget being perfect. Forget that perfect life that you thought you were supposed to create. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything, in every person, in every family, in every relationship. There are cracks. But that is how the light gets in. And whatever light is to you, whether it's God or it's, you know, something else that's beautiful, it's like it doesn't get in unless there's a crack. And so these hard things in life, are we're supposed to crack and let light come in and enter us and make us better. So that's something that has really stayed with me. And I, 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 I love it a lot. Wow.
1: Yeah. yeah. I've never heard that, but I love it. I'm so glad yeah, you shared it. good. Yeah. That was really good. Thanks. <clears throat> well, um, yeah, as, as a wrap up, what we like to ask, how do you find beauty in life after going through this transition?
3: Um, it's like, I, people who take my yoga class, if they listen to this, they'll be like, here she goes again. Cause I say a lot of the <laughs> same things. But two words that came to my mind are two of my favorite words, which are impermanence and equanimity. And impermanence means that no feeling is final. And so something I've learned through this that has brought me a lot of joy and, and peace is that hard feelings aren't final, but neither are joyful ones. So it's allowing yourself to feel all of it. Right. Instead of trying to run from the hard stuff and just in search of the good stuff. It's accepting whatever you're feeling right now and knowing it's not there to stay. So impermanence and then equanimity. This is my goal for 2023. And equanimity is a state of balance and peace inside, no matter what your external circumstances are. So. I had this hard year in 2016. So then I'm like, okay, I need a good year in 2017 or 2022 was really hard for me for a lot of reasons. So I think I need a good year. And actually that's total BS because that's us wanting life to change for us. Equanimity means no matter what happens, I can still have balance and peace inside of me. Even if everything crumbles I have what I need inside of me to be okay. And there's there's just a lot of power in that too. Um, it's the opposite of a victim, victim mentality. It's like, no matter what happens, I'm okay. And we all have access to that because we are all built to do hard things. So instead of hoping that 2023 is like easy, I am going to practice equanimity.
2: Hmm. I like that. You don't hear that word
1: much, but no. I think it's a really great word. <laughs> I didn't even know what it meant until you told us. So I'm really grateful <laughs> yeah. that you well, did. You guys need to
3: take my yoga class. You
1: need, I know. Yeah. We need to come, come to, to Vegas. We should. Go take ah, yoga that would class. be so fun.
3: I Those are two lessons though that I've learned that it creates more beauty because we're not waiting for life to make us happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. well, that oh, that's awesome. I love that. And that's different than anything we've heard from yeah. another guest. So I really like that.
3: There you go. I like words. I'm a word nerd. So I'm yeah, have that be my 2023
1: 20, <laughs> word a really of the good. year. Equanimity. Yeah.
3: It's a theme instead of like, I want to run 20 miles a week. It's like, it's a theme. It's a continuous practice.
2: Yeah. yeah say it's an everyday practice. Yeah. well, and then yeah. It
1: can go into so many different areas of your life too. Like every area. That yeah. yeah. Totally.
2: Cool. That's really good. I wanted to just go back. Um, so you were talking about just listening and and I remember when my mom was going through a hard time and I just wasn't really sure. We didn't really know what her diagnosis was. And I called you because I wanted to maybe get a hold of your mom or I just, I need, I knew my mom needed something because anytime people were around, she kind of, it like helped her. It buoyed her up. It made her, you could tell she even like her, she looked, her countenance was different. So having people around was really helpful. Um, but I remember I called you and you were at Todd's reunion and you stepped away and I think you talked to me for like 30 minutes and you just let me talk. And I hadn't talked to you for a couple of years, but I, I just knew you were <clears throat> just a great person and, um, easy to talk to. And that you're, I wanted to connect with your, your mom, with my mom. And, but I, you were, you're good at that. Cause you just kind of let me talk and maybe I think you're like, well, it's a good excuse. I don't really want to mingling here at this reunion, but I just want to say that you, I really appreciated that, that you took the time to listen, you know, and you had lost your dad and I, um, knew that I was probably going to be losing my mom soon. And so I just really appreciated the time you took to mm. just listen. And that was awesome. That's really cool.
3: That's funny. I don't even remember that. I have the worst memory, but <laughs>
2: I'm glad that I it listened to you. It was quite a few you. years ago.
3: but Yeah, that was that would have been a while ago. But also, you are like an extension of your mom, and your mom means a lot to me. So I've just have always really loved you guys, and I've appreciated um, the love that she always showed me and my family and my mom. Like, I would really do anything for you guys. And
2: so... Yeah, I'm grateful to have you. Like, just lifelong, yeah, neighbors, friends, and it really was... Just a cool friendship with our families and had some good memories for sure. That's cool. Kind of, yeah, kind of the people you just knew would be there for you no matter what.
1: Right. It's neat that your mom's fostered that kind of friendship, you know, that now is going into the next generation and it's really cool. Yes,
3: They're really cool, amazing women, so... Yeah. yeah
2: and of course i just feel like always there's always laughter around so it was
3: yes <laughs> it helps. yes, yes. Helps. rod yeah. stewart concerts and yeah, yeah yeah and i didn't
2: remember your mom i don't even know if it was just one year or a couple of years but like being like the girls camp director or something and just being just so much fun oh, so fun. fun but
3: yeah my mom is fun
2: <laughs> yeah she's great we're excited so yeah we're interviewing her next week so that'll yep. be fun good kind of get good. her perspective on this same thing and some of her transitions so um, maybe you could tell our listeners your, the, you know, Instagram account and maybe the one the shine the light account. And we'll also link this in our show notes. So. Yeah.
3: Okay. So our Instagram account uh, account is at second chance 5k and our website is linked there, but our website is second 5k.org. And the organization that we uh, partnered with this year, last year, is called Shine a light And I believe it's just at Shine a light on Instagram. And we're lucky, uh, we have a local Raiders player, Darren Waller. He is one of the best tight ends in the NFL, and he's in recovery. He almost died a few years ago of an overdose when he was playing for a different oh. team, and he has been clean. But he is a huge part of the recovery community in Las Vegas, and he, his Darren Waller Foundation helps to fund a lot of Shine a Light. And so mm-hmm. we've been able to work with him a few times. And so that's another one I would look up is the, the Darren Waller Foundation because okay. his presence in our city has made a really big difference in the recovery community. So we're very grateful.
2: It probably no, helps cool. lessen the shame, you know, if you feel like, oh, he's oh. an NFL player and he has it all together and for him to admit that and to come out and yeah. to, you know, get into recovery, it probably helps people not feel that shame. His yeah, story is amazing. Cool yeah.
3: if you he, A lot of interviews, um, I would look him up. He's a very inspir- and he's honest about what happened. And I think it's, I think it's helpful for anyone to know more about him. So there's another resource. Sure.
2: Yeah. And speaking of football, I guess we should acknowledge that you have a 49ers sweatshirt. I on Because I know you guys are it. big 49 er fans.
3: <laughs> I appreciate it. And this is number 10 for Jimmy Garoppolo. And my mom grew up in the Bay Area. So I grew up, we watched the Niners, you know, Joe Montana, Steve Young. And then oh, yeah. I married a Niners fan. and Perfect. It's just worked out that way for us, you guys, yeah.
2: So. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been super great yeah, and I think really you. helpful. And really I've good. learned a lot from you today and hopefully are guests can as well and if you're in the vegas area or somewhere close then go to the 5k yeah come, 5K. come to
3: the 5k bring your families it'd be fun i appreciate yeah. you guys inviting me on thank you
1: yeah so, thank you so much so great all right see you holly okay, Bye.
2: thank you so much for listening today we hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and follow along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our
1: latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy.
0: I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again begin to understand where to go. Now it's time to move along. Now it's time to move along. Take this journey as my own. Feel the strength right in my bones. All I want is to believe life is my own. Life start again, my mind is free now. I can feel the truth in me. I'll take a chance, I won't be wrong. Yeah. Now it's time to move along. Now it's time to move along. Take this journey as my own. I feel the strength that I